This week, Tourism Australia has recognised travel agents in the latest iteration of its domestic marketing campaign. Flight Centre believes it can still deliver volume to suppliers, and the CDC has provided more of a pathway for the resumption of cruising. Once again, it's been a big week for the travel and cruise industry, so let's get into it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper, and this is News on the Fly. Fly Centre held its annual general meeting late last week and CEO Screw Turner was cautiously optimistic about the prospects for the company. Did what he say make sense? Look, definitely. It's clear that any publicly listed travel company is walking a fine line at the moment between being completely frank about the current dire situation, but also being a bit upbeat about the prospects. But of course, with all the uncertainty, you've got to take a balanced view of any extreme statements. I did think Screw was definitely hedging his bets a bit. I think the words he used were that he was optimistic that travel's medium-term outlook is fairly bright. But he also added that that was particularly true if there's an effective vaccine available by early 2021. As we know, despite there being some positive news on that front in recent days, it's by no means a certainty. So you've got to ask, what's the downside for Flight Centre and indeed the whole industry if a vaccine doesn't become available? Anyway, Graham also detailed a lot of work that Flight Centre is undertaking to position itself for the recovery when it comes. And despite the massive closures and shrinking of the company's shopfront network, he's still definitely banking on being able to deliver big volumes to suppliers. And of course, in turn, reaping those big incentive payments that have long been the secret to Flight Centre's financial success. So if there are so many less Flight Centre shops, how can they keep hitting those supplier sales targets? Yeah, that's the multi-million dollar question and nobody really knows because we really just don't know how the world's going to look when this is all over. A lot of people have said this pandemic has accelerated the evolution of the Australian travel industry and Flight Centre, like other players, is trying hard to get ahead of the curve again. Um, They're introducing lots of technology to make travel selling more efficient and it may be that despite having heaps less stores and staff, they can improve consultant productivity and continue to deliver volumes. Basically, each consultant's going to have to process you know, a lot more uh, actual transactions. And although, of course, it's going to take some years to get back to the levels previously seen, Screw's also noted that it, now more than ever, suppliers are going to need volume, and he insists that Flight Centre's ready to deliver it. However, I'm not so sure that they'll be able to wring those big fat overrides out of suppliers going forward. Firstly, you know, suppliers are are strapped like everyone else. And I've heard that in some of the airline negotiations, they're getting a bit of a rude shock. In his speech, Screw mentioned Qantas as one of the company's key suppliers, and he also did a bit of a backhander about them being slow to make refunds. All very true. But I think it was a bit of a swipe because I believe the discussions about overrides with Qantas have not gone well at all. And that is likely to reset the relationship quite a bit. Uh, nothing confirmed, and Flight Centre is definitely not commenting on it, and neither is Qantas, but um, that is the scuttlebutt that's around. On the same topic of suppliers, I'm pretty sure the days of Flight Centre and Hello World extracting massive amounts of sponsorship money for their conferences and you know speaking spots and, um, during their gatherings are over too. The whole landscape of preferred agreements is pretty much going to be a wasteland, I reckon. And just in the last couple of days, Flight Centre has announced new finance, worth about $400 million. Is this a sign of desperation? Uh, Look, no, it's not desperation. It's actually a pretty good deal and not dissimilar to a similar capital raising that Webjet did a couple of months ago. Although it is interesting that Flight Centre, you know, has been insisting, oh, we've got plenty of money, no problem. 
and you know then they've gone out for 400 million it definitely does appear there's a bit of an appetite for these convertible notes in Singapore's financial markets and flight centers managed to get this offering away by they're paying an interest rate of only two and a half percent so that's a pretty good result they're going to use the money to pay down about 100 million in debt as part of an overall refinancing package uh, they've definitely been uh, negotiating with their financiers and there's another $300 million in cash that they'll put aside to extend its, the company's survival runway. It's hard to believe, but the company is still incurring costs of about $40 million a month. That's a massive reduction from pre-COVID levels, where it was about $230 million, but it's still an awful lot of money to keep funding. They've got to be looking at that bank account being whittled away. And as the pandemic stretches on, of course, everyone's looking at how much cash they've got available, how long it's going to last. As a final note on Flight Centre, I did also think it was very interesting that during his presentation at the AGM, Screw revealed that they've got about $2 billion in the bank, but it's sitting in, that includes more than $550 million in client funds still owed to suppliers. That's an awful lot, and it definitely provides some fodder for the critics of Flight Centre's refund policy, which caused such a lot of angst, and I think has really badly damaged the company's brand during the first few months of the pandemic. This week, Tourism Australia provided some welcome recognition for the role travel agents play, confirming that the call to action in some of its latest ads invites people to consult a travel agent. Can you explain to us why this is a big deal for the industry? Yep, look, uh, all you keen listeners to this podcast will remember that when Tourism Australia first unveiled the new Hamish and Zoe Foster-Blake power couple ad campaign, I mentioned that Tourism Minister Simon Birmingham had missed a golden opportunity just to include a mention of supporting travel agent businesses as one of the reasons to holiday at home this year. He talked about, you know, suppliers, tour operators, etc. But um, as we know, travel agents can play a key role there. And I thought it was a, you know, an opportunity missed. We definitely got a lot of feedback on social media about that disappointment from across the industry. And I also know a bunch of politicians and also Tourism Australia Chairman Bob East got some pretty full and frank feedback from the industry, which is uh, getting used to engaging with everyone in power. Anyway, it does appear that the message has gotten through, and that was really great news. I believe the new call to action is already featuring in the campaign, particularly in print advertising in regional areas and also in some live uh, radio reads. Yeah, great news. And I believe Tourism Australia MD, Philippa Harrison, also highlighted some of the other support that the organisation is giving to the local travel sector. Yes, although Tourism Australia made pains to point out it was just a small tweak to its existing collateral, I reckon they didn't realise what a big deal this was for agents, and Philippa really stressed other stuff that they're doing, which to me indicates the ability for travel agencies to help boost domestic visitation is definitely on Tourism Australia's radar. Uh, For instance, they've opened up the Aussie Specialist Training Program to Australian-based consultants for the first time this year, and there is also, I believe, a bunch of co-op activity being undertaken in partnerships with Flight Centre and Hello World. Tourism Australia has also got a full suite of marketing assets which are available free to agents, including toolkits around this Holiday Here This Year campaign, social media assets, etc. So there is some opportunity out there for agents to grab with both hands. This is the 32nd episode of News on the Fly, and we are thrilled to announce that our podcast has now been listened to over 8,000 times as the industry continues to tune in to find out the latest inside information on travel and cruising each week. Sponsorship of News on the Fly is just one of a host of options to get your brand in front of a highly engaged audience of travel resellers. So contact us on advertising at traveldaily.com.au or call us on 1300 799 220 for more information. 
And moving on to Cruise, the US Centers for Disease Control has started to provide more detail around what would be required for a resumption of cruising after dropping its no-sale order a couple of weeks ago. Bruce, what did they announce? And is there any more clarity about when things might get going again? Well, look, at the very least, you'd have to say there's finally a bit of progress, nothing locally, but I'm sure authorities all around the world, including Australia and New Zealand, are watching the CDC very closely. So anything that happens here is really good news for the industry. Basically, they've fleshed out more of the framework for conditional sailing with a bunch of requirements such as, um, you know, onboard testing facilities, quarantine requirements for crew members when they join ships. Uh, They're going to keep going with the traffic light system um, that they introduced when they were trying to get everyone off the ships. Um, That classifies ships as green, yellow or red based on their COVID-19 status. Um, There's actually not a lot of new information here, but at least it lets ship operators start to make initial steps that would allow them to remove sailings and at least operate those trial or mock voyages that we talked about in last week's podcast. But interestingly, uh, just in the last day or so, Holland America has sort of started looking into the finer detail, and that's led them to suspend sales of all cruises longer than a week that call in US ports right through until the beginning of November. Now, they've only suspended, so it's November 2021, they've only suspended those sailings, the the selling of those sales while they seek clarification. But that is a game changer for the whole industry if they're only allowed to operate cruises less than one week. So yes, yet more uncertainty for the cruise lines, unfortunately. And so what about locally? Is there any update on what's going to help get things going again here? And yet, unfortunately not. As we all know, the current ban on cruise shipping in Australian waters extends to 17th of December. I did hear a rumour about one of the big ship operators planning a voyage between Sydney and Hobart in January. But if that does happen, I'm guessing it might be a trial voyage of some kind, because this week, Royal Caribbean extended its pause through until February, and Carnival Cruise Line's Carnival Splendour's out till early March now. And along with P&O, which is also suspended, it's looking less and less likely that there will be any significant local cruise season this summer. I know there's heaps of work going on behind the scenes, but it is very frustrating for everyone to have no clarity. So hopefully some politicians will man or woman up and at least provide a pathway that could allow things to get going again. As we've said before, there's absolutely no reason that domestic cruising couldn't be up and running right now, given Australia's success in managing COVID-19. And finally, despite the ongoing shutdown, cruise lines are clearly evolving their offerings, and there have been a few announcements about that this week. What are the cruise lines doing? Yep, look, one of these is Celebrity Cruises, which has gone through quite a few leadership changes locally over the last 12 months or so. But in the meantime, there's also been clearly a major shift in the marketing thinking in the US head office, and that's seen them announce a shift to a more inclusive offering. All of Celebrity's fares, I think it's effective immediately, now include beverages, Wi-Fi and gratuities. And that's definitely going to simplify the sales process for agents and for consumers, although gratuities were already included in fares from Australia and New Zealand, because as we all know, we're not great tippers. Um, There was also a really interesting move by Herta Grushin, which has launched some extremely sharply priced all-inclusive packages for 2022 and 2023 cruises in Antarctica. You know, this is a bucket list item for a lot of people, and they're trying to tap into that, particularly as, you know, people have their wings clipped at the moment. But these deals start at just $11,000 per person for an Antarctic cruise, including flights from Australia or New Zealand. It's a full package, pre and post accommodation, transfers. It's a really good deal and something that should make the whole thing very smooth in terms of sales too, because it's just a simple transaction, uh, very easy to buy, very easy to sell. Let's hope that that really stimulates some action in the market. 
Sounds amazing. Can I have a pay rise so I can book it? No, you can't. Oh, well, worth a try. Okay, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Keep up to date with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.